The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Good morning and welcome back, Refuge Church. Good morning. He is risen. That was a really smooth transition for Kids Church, wasn't it? Just giving you that moment of silence just to dwell. I want to start today by um, praying for uh, someone in our church, Shelly Sherwin, who some of you know. And uh, I just heard when I got here that she has, seems like a detached retina, and it is extremely painful. And, um, uh, you know, it's Sunday, they're going to... Yeah, they're, they're not sure, just extremely painful, and it uh, doesn't feel like she can wait till tomorrow, but it's Sunday. So I want to pray for her, uh, so will you join me in that? God, we pray for Shelly, someone who has been so long-suffering with many discomforts. someone who's been faithful with many discomforts, and I pray that you will give her comfort now, that we pray that you will heal her now, that we pray that uh, on this resurrection day, the day we remember victory, that she will find herself safe and victorious in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just to kind of tell you where we're going before the prayer of confession, uh, we're going to be looking specifically at the story of Mary Magdalene today and the resurrection. And uh, she's an interesting story um, because she, she is in some ways just as scared as everybody else. In other ways, she's seems like a little more bold than everybody else. And yet we hear her asking the question that so many ask, so many still ask, which is, where is Jesus? And so I want to give a prayer of confession for us corporately asking that question. God, as we ask this question, where are you? God, we, we repent that after so many times you've showed yourself to us, you've spoken to us, we're sorry that still we don't see you, still we we constantly are looking, looking, looking. So will you join me in that prayer and I'll give you a moment to pray also. Oh God, we live in a world you made. We live in a world you invaded. In the person of Jesus came, the glory of God dwelt among us, and yet we still look. God, we are so sorry that after so much you've done for us. Still we ask, where are you? What are you doing now? God, we ask these things not because we have another answer, but because we're looking ourselves again for satisfying knowledge, what's true, what will hold us, what's eternal. 
Thank you for your mercy when we ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name. I just want to give you a moment to pray yourself before we enter the sermon. God, thank you for hearing our prayers, always hearing our prayers, and the assurance that you lovingly are for us, you forgive us. When we come and ask for forgiveness, we're restored completely to relationship with you. Thank you. Amen. This morning, I sent my mom a text that... um, was remembering with her that it was less than a year ago that my dad passed away. And this is the first Resurrection Sunday that we have that he's not with us here. It's a powerful reminder that my dad is experiencing the resurrection and the life right now. In this moment, he is alive and he is well. Wow. And that is a very sweet thing to think about. I think I've shared with you guys one of the most tangible thoughts, images I had in the week after my dad passed away was um, the thought of embracing him again in heaven, that that will happen, that will be a reality. And yet the sweetness of that reality is not always present with me. It's not always present with us when we lose somebody that we love. Sometimes we are more present with the thought, where are you, God? Well, I am hurting. Well, I am missing. Well, I feel right now lost without that person here. It it might be because you lost somebody. It might be because something else has happened in your life. But you're asking that question, where is Jesus? And that is the question that Mary's story answers for us. I'm going to share this story in two ways. First, I'm going to read it for us from the book of John, and then I'm going to tell you the story. John 20, 1 through 16 reads this way. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started to the tomb, both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Peter, Simon Peter, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. 
And I always find this very interesting. They leave and Mary stays. They all seem very caught up in their own thoughts. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked, women, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, Women, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Let me tell you this story as I thought through it over the last couple days. Feel free to close your eyes, just listen, just be caught up in this story. Mary had not slept in two nights. The moment her eyes closed, she is reliving the horrific events of Friday night. In an instant, she is back on the desolate hill of Golgotha, the place of skulls, watching Jesus die. Jesus was dead, and the thought of his death is her only thought. When Mary is awake, her body goes through the motions of eating and staying busy. If distracted long enough, she begins to imagine that Jesus is still alive and that he will soon invite her on some adventure with his group of followers. Jesus had become Mary's world in the last year. It was hard for Mary to remember what life was like without Jesus. Before Jesus rescued her, Mary's mind was broken and her heart was full of hate. She was out of control, possessed by desires and behaviors that she could not manage. The scripture says she was possessed by multiple demons. People distanced themselves from Mary, and the only ones who came close used her. Mary hated to think of life and what it would be like without Jesus. People did not recognize Mary after Jesus restored reason to her mind and peace to her heart. She was confident and free, and all she wanted to do with her freedom was follow Jesus. To her surprise, Jesus let Mary follow him. Mary and a group of other women traveled with Jesus' band of disciples, making sure things were in order around the camp. They would listen to Jesus and often pray with those in the crowd who heard Jesus' teaching. They hung on every word Jesus spoke. The thought of these times with Jesus painfully came on Saturday after his death. When night fell, though, Mary's mind narrowed to one dreadful thought. Jesus was dead. Her thoughts focused on the small details of Jesus' death that she had witnessed with Jesus' mother and John. These three had been close enough to hear the shallow labored breathing and see the strained muscles pulling up for air. Occasionally, Jesus' eyes would meet theirs. He seemed determined as if his death was accomplishing something or meant something that no one else could really comprehend. Some of Jesus' last words repeated in her mind. The words were spoken over everyone there and seemed to spread throughout the whole world. It is finished. Those words signaled the definite ending of something, but also seemed to present the opening of something else. Whatever Jesus meant, seemed was now gone because Jesus was dead. It was now Sunday morning, so early that the air still held the cold darkness of night. Mary knew it was pointless to attempt sleeping. 
She rose and decided to go to the tomb where Jesus was buried. She walked with slow and certain steps. The path was dark and narrow. Mary walked and walked with the reoccurring thought, it is finished. Before she knew it, she was standing before the empty tomb, and in an instant, her sadness turned to panic. The stone was rolled away, and the tomb appeared empty. Mary turned and ran down the path back to where she had come from, feet stumbling, arms hitting branches. She arrived and woke everybody up. Her words were barely understandable. I went tomb, empty, gone. Jesus and John heard and ran to the tomb, frantic. Their pain turned into panic at the news and soon turned into anger. The disciples who couldn't protect Jesus while he was alive could not protect Jesus when he was dead. Peter and John turned and went back home, not even thinking to wait for Mary. Mary alone remains at the tomb. She stands outside crying, unable to retrace her steps or even move forward. And as she cries, she becomes alert to something or someone nearby. Looking in the tomb, she sees two otherworldly beings sitting where Jesus' body had been placed. She stares dumbfounded at the two beings that moments before had been missed by close inspection by Peter and John. And in unison, it's interesting, in unison it says in the Bible, they say, woman, why are you crying? Mary stares for another moment, unsure how they cannot know why she is crying, and she finds her words and says, they have taken my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. Then hearing something behind her, she turns around to see another person. This time it is one person. The person is standing still, uninvited, but obviously not intending to leave. This person seems to belong there, and Mary assumes that he is the caretaker of the property, perhaps the gardener. This person speaks first. Woman, why are you crying and who are you looking for? Mary responds. Seems like she would be exasperated. Asked the same question again. Why am I crying? Well, the one I love died. But when she responds, it seems to be in a small whisper. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Where is Jesus? It's kind of it's kind of a cliffhanger, right? You're like you get to this moment, you are there with Mary. Where is Jesus? Please, if you know, tell me, and I will go get him. Where can I find him? Where have you put him? And this is the same question we ask when we come to moments of our lives of desperation and despair. Hurt that we don't know how to deal with. Where have you put him? Where is Jesus? You are not the first person to ask this question. This is not a question. This is really important. This is not a question the Bible avoids. It's not a dirty little secret of the Bible that it seems like Jesus sometimes cannot be found. 
that God seems to not be there sometimes. Let me just retrace for you some of the most important parts of scripture. The children of Israel, they've just been brought out of Egypt, 10 plagues, God's powerful. They get, you know, like they are brought to the edge of the sea and all of a sudden they hear chariots behind them and they say, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you've brought us into the desert? What have you done by bringing us out here? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone in Egypt? Where is God now? Sure, he did stuff in the past, but he just doesn't seem to be anywhere right now as they look at the Red Sea. David and the psalmist, the one who loved God with his whole heart, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemies? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes hunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Where is Jesus? Mary and Joseph. Luke 2. Jesus is 12 years old. They go up to Jerusalem together to the festival of the Passover They all leave, they think they all leave. Mary and Joseph are a couple days on the road and they cannot find Jesus anywhere. This story never had the trauma in it that it has now being a parent, right? Ellie, I can't find Ellie for 10 seconds and I'm calling 911. Like, like it's several days in and all of a sudden it says they go around looking to friends and family saying, is Jesus with you? They can't find him. They go back to Jerusalem and we pick up there. When they did not find him, they go back to Jerusalem after three days. Three days they find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother says, appropriately, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you. What, is she, what are they saying? Jesus, where are you? Where were you? Why? The disciples, Mark 1.36, Simon and his companions went looking for Jesus because they could not find him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody is looking for you. And bringing even closer, the band U2. <laughs> you broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's replete. It's throughout. It's universal. Where is Jesus? And that is the question Mary is asking. We have asked this question because he once seems close. We heard his promise of care and compassion. We have felt his love and his freedom. And yet now, crushed by disappointment, death of a loved one, waking up feeling lost, we relate with the question of the psalmist, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now the story of Mary gives us hope. It gives us four reasons for rock solid hope. And I'm just gonna mention those quickly to you. The first is that the tomb is empty. At first, the empty tomb is not hopeful. It's not hopeful because it seems like their worst fear. Jesus isn't just dead, but he is gone. Now, remember that the empty tomb 
is the story Jesus told. This is important. (laughs) The empty tomb is the story that Jesus told. On the third day, I will rise again. Like the disciples, you have received a word. You have received a word even in your hardship. Jesus says, I've told you these things that you might have peace in the world. You will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Are you troubled? Are you distressed? Are you asking, where is Jesus? Jesus anticipated that. Jesus' tomb will not be the only empty tomb in the future. All tombs will be empty in the future. All of us will rise again and face God. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. There will be all empty tombs. That is our rock solid hope for those who put their hope in Jesus. There's an empty tomb. The second is Jesus knows why you are here. He sees Mary standing outside the tomb before she even knew he was there. I always find it interesting when the Bible asks the same thing over and over again, right? We, we saw that in the garden. Jesus says three times, will you take this from me? Twice Mary's asked, why are you crying? And she probably is a little upset after being asked twice. Jesus and the angels obviously aren't asking because they don't know. But Jesus also isn't asking to embarrass Mary. He is mercifully uncovering her hurt so that he can, if she will trust him, take up her sin and carry her sorrow. He wants to carry it. The question for us when we hear this, why are you crying, is really what is your cry? (laughs) What is your cry? And who are you looking for? Who are you looking for here in this empty tomb? Are you looking for the promises of God fulfilled? Are you looking for affirmation of your doubt? The third rock-solid hope is this. Jesus is near. This is my favorite part of the story. This is my favorite part of the story because of this. Mary is looking at Jesus and thinks he is the gardener. Literally, he's like the king of kings and the lord of lords is standing right in front of her. And she's like, do you work here? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like if you've taken him, like, I'm not even going to, like, ask you to go get it. Like, I'll do the work. The one she has desired is standing right in front of her. In moments of great crisis or excitement, we often do not recognize Jesus. We do not recognize Jesus. We feel alone, abandoned, even taunted by his absence. But the hope here is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, will never leave you or forsake you. In Matthew 28, the very end, when Jesus rises again, he assures his disciples that surely he will be with you to the very end of the age. In Mary's tears, she could not see him, but he stood on the other side of those tears. Look for Jesus nearby. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The fourth rock solid hope is this, is that Jesus knows your name. I think my favorite part of this story, other than the fact that she thinks Jesus is the gardener, which again is hilarious, is that when Jesus says Mary's name, there's no exclamation mark. 
But everybody else is freaking out. And Jesus isn't like, Mary! Right? <laughs> Do you think he would be like, boom! Like, like he just shows up. But he's just, he, she is so hurt. She is so distracted. She just cannot see past her tears. Right? She cannot see Jesus who's in front of her. And he says softly, Mary. And that word, her name, being known, changes everything for her. The mention of her name, her peace is restored. Jesus knows your name. And that is why in Revelation 3.20 it says, Here I am. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus knows your name and Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. That is our rock solid hope. Jesus, who was buried, rose with power, is alive. You can't see him in the tomb because the tomb is empty. And he is now standing where? He's standing at the door of your heart, knowing your name, calling your name. Not with loud ta-da, but simply saying your name. He's not there to impress you. He's there just to save you, be with you, give you peace, love you, welcome you into his family. That is what your name without an exclamation mark looks like. He just knows you. And he invites you to be his. So what is your cause for crying now? And who are you looking for? As you stand outside the tomb of your challenges, questions, failures, I want you to tell your heart this. He is not here in the tomb He is in front of you speaking your name. He is risen. Paul proclaims this in Romans 8, saying, What then shall I say? In response to all these things, is if God is for us, who will be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It goes on to proclaim his resurrection. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the throne of the Father, interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of God? That is the question you should be asking. Not where is he, because he has told you now, he is at the right hand of the throne of the Father, saying your name interceding for us so no one can separate us from his love. Jesus knows your name and he is calling you today. So as we sing, I invite you to do these two things. One, if you have not responded to Jesus calling your name, we invite you to do that today. You can do that just sitting where you are and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I am yours. You know me already. All of me is yours. If you want to talk with somebody about that, Ibrahim is right over here on the side. He can pray with you. Um, oh, Jake at the back. I'm just going to offer both of them. You can, just, you can just go to either one of them. It should be like, Ibrahim, I know you didn't want to talk to me, but I'm here to talk to you. The, the second thing... Uh, you can do is is respond in worship. Worship by singing, worship by taking communion, remembering that Jesus' body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you. That is for the forgiveness of your sins, that when you hear his name, you can respond to him without guilt or shame. You can be his completely. Love you guys. Let's pray.
Father, Son, and Spirit, you know our questions. God, you know how we get caught up day to day. We get surprised by things. Man, why is this so hard? Or kind of get lost in ourselves. Things of this world. God, we pray. I pray. We can hear you calling our name. Just like when you said, it is finished, you spoke that over the cosmos. When you say our name, It is both personal and eternal. You've called us into an eternal relationship with you, and I just pray that we will courageously respond. We'll respond in coming to you, committing ourselves to you, and worshiping. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.